Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. When I was a child, one of the animals that I found really scary was the gorilla. And of course, some of the gorillas are, you know, sort of a large, hairy uh, animal. And of course, um, they can have uh, quite large um, teeth too, that um, those big incisor teeth. Uh, particularly at the front when they're showing their teeth, kind of look quite nasty. <laughs> but just um, some uh, time ago, I read a, a very interesting story about uh, gorillas. It was in a book on true animal stories about amazing behaviour of uh, animals. And um, this um, uh, this uh, account uh, was about a... An animal uh, collector, I'm not sure what you would call them actually, but he, uh, this uh, particular person, Mr. Overjonan, was his name, was um, collected animals in Africa for the Hamburg Zoo uh, back in the uh, 19, late 1920s, early 1930s. And he, uh, of course, was working with his team in Africa and he tells the, the story that one day he uh, went out um, with his rifle to hunt for some game animals for food for his uh, team of, uh, of workers that were helping him to trap and cage the animals to take them back to the Hamburg Zoo. And he was walking along this uh, jungle trail where he saw a large... Uh, male gorilla um, ahead of him and the gorilla was standing upright on his um, on his legs and standing up straight so he's, he's standing quite high and Mr Oberjonah knew that in that position that was a very defensive attack sort of type position for a gorilla so he raised his rifle immediately in uh, sort of defence and this animal then began to lunge towards him. As the animal got closer, he had to make the decision, um, do I kill this animal? And he was an animal lover himself and he really appreciated animals. And as the gorilla got closer and he could see the gorilla was about to grab him, he actually put his rifle down and let the gorilla hug him. And the gorilla did. The gorilla gave him a big hug. And he thought to himself, as he, th- as he was seeing all these processes were going through his mind, and I thought, boy, he's a very brave man to do that because um, the gorilla could easily uh, kill him. Um, you know, some of the gorillas, particularly the West African uh, gorilla, and I'm not sure which part of Africa Mr. Overjonah was collecting his gorillas from, but some of those gorillas, um, they weigh 200 kilos. Um, and, they, you know, their very broad shoulders are immensely strong uh, animals, extremely strong animals, and could have easily just crushed uh, Mr. Overjonah. And so he made this very interesting decision, and... The gorilla then let him go and seemed to be signalling him to follow him. And so he followed the gorilla and the gorilla led him through the jungle to a hut. Um, and in this hut, out in the jungle, an old man was lying um, just on uh, some grass in the, in the hut, uh, which was his bed. And 
the man spoke to um, Mr. Overjoe, who's an African man, and he explained that um, the gorilla, uh, he had actually rescued the gorilla as a little baby that had been left um, by poachers that had killed the mother because back at those times they used to take uh, the face and the hands, uh, kill the gorillas for their faces and hands. And um, and so he, this man, this African man, had saved little baby gorilla and raised it up. And in essence, this little baby gorilla thought he was a human. And he used to... He would carry, the old man explained, he would carry firewood for him, help him carry firewood and help him carry buckets of water. But Mr. Aberjohn realised that the old man was very ill and so he invited him to come with him back to his camp where they could get, um, he could get help. And in the meantime, um, Mr. Aberjohn found that the, he could get the gorilla to, to do things such as um, uh, carry water and, and these sort of things. One of the there are some quite humorous things that um, occurred. Uh, one day, uh, the gorilla saw Mr. Aberjonan having a a wash, and of course, out there he just had a bit of a tub of water, and he just got the uh, Mr. Aberjonan just used the soap and lathered it over himself, and then just sort of rinsed himself with some water. And the gorilla saw him doing this and raced over and grabbed the um, Soap, but what he did was what the gorilla did was he actually put the soap in his mouth and swallowed it and then began rubbing his chest like he'd seen Mr. Aberjonan do, but it didn't go all white and frothy. And so the gorilla started getting angry. So Mr. Aberjonan had to race and find a, uh, another cake of soap and bring it over and dip it in the water and show him, hang on, you don't eat the soap, you rub it on the outside. Um, another. Um, time uh, Mr. Overjonan had um, the habit of smoking a cigar and he found that the gorilla actually um, had learnt to copy him and had learnt where Mr. Overjonan kept his cigars and the lighter and would actually um, go and steal the cigars and go and uh, and go away and hide like a, a naughty, uh, schoolboy and smoke the cigars down behind a, a tree and he noticed his, his cigar box was going down and so he tells the story how he emptied the powder out of some bullets um, and carefully slit a, um, the cigar and uh, put the material inside the, the cigar and then carefully sealed it up and he, he left the box out with only like the two cigars in both of which had been um, tampered with in this way and he said it wasn't long before um, later that day I heard an explosion down the bush and the gorilla came racing back and that that cured him from smoking but uh, the other other interesting tale was that uh, story was that he realized that they now had um, complete their consignment of wild animals and they were about to be shipped back to um, Germany and he realised that the um, gorilla couldn't be left back in the wild. It was um, so used to sort of being with humans that it probably wouldn't survive well in the jungle. So he decided to put it in a cage and take it back to Germany. Now, the, 
the gorilla wasn't very happy, but he, he trusted Mr. Aberjonan. And in the meantime, I should mention too that the older African man had actually died. And that was another reason Mr. Aberjonan decided to take the gorilla back to um, Germany. They had uh, quite a few adventures, but he put the, the gorilla was placed in the, in the Hamburg Zoo. But of course, he wasn't, Mr. and Mr. Aberjonan went back to doing his work, uh, back to Africa, actually. And um, the gorilla, of course, wasn't used to being uh, kept in the the cage like that and he became very despondent and the um, zookeepers, um, again, because the the animal uh, wasn't behaving himself and they were a bit afraid of it, would weren't treating it very nice until it was becoming more and more aggressive and to the point where the director of the zoo sent a telegram to Mr Aberjone saying that if you don't come and get your gorilla, we will put it down. And uh, Mr Aberjone caught the first boat back to Germany and he uh, went into the zoo. But what he decided to do was to see what the... um, gorilla's behaviour was and he when he, he went into the zoo he saw this older lady visiting or standing outside the gorilla's cage and talking to the gorilla and he was the gorilla was inside the cage and later as the lady moved away he walked up to the lady and said oh I saw you spend quite a bit of time there at the gorilla's cage are you interested in gorillas and she said, well, there's something about this, this gorilla. She said, I, I really relate to him and he, he, it seems wrong that he's in that cage. He, there, there's something wrong going on. And Mr. Obajanan said to, her, said to this lady, he said, would you like to have that lady as a, uh, that gorilla as a, a pet or, and, uh, or take him home? And she said, well, actually I would. And I thought, well, wow, that's a pretty brave lady to do that, but... In, um, so Mr. Oberjone actually went round into the back where you, you, know, you know people aren't supposed to go and was opening the and decided to let the gorilla out. And, of course, some zoo uh, wardens uh, saw him there and raced to try and, and stop him. But he got uh, into the back door and got the, got the gorilla out very quickly. And, of course, they were running to get um, uh, guns and everything to deal with the situation. But... As soon as the gorilla saw Mr. Aberjonan, he raced over to him, gave him a big hug and walked out holding Mr. Aberjonan's hand. And a huge crowd uh, formed and you know, Mr. Aberjonan told the wardens now they'd got guns and they just put them down, it's all right, just, just relax, he's okay. And um, in the crowd, the um, gorilla saw the lady and he let go of Mr. Aberjonan's hand. He raced over and gave the um, the lady a, a hug as well. And um, Mr. Aberjonan went to them and said, well, you, you can take him home. And it's interesting that gorilla then lived with that lady in her home in Germany for another 20 years. Um, and this, uh, this reminded me of a couple of things. Um... You know, one of the things that's, that's interesting that when gorillas were first kept in captivity, people didn't understand their diets and they used to feed them um, a lot of fruit and high-carbohydrate biscuits. 
And when they did that, the it actually gave them heart problems and they had a lot of problems with the uh, gorillas having developing heart conditions in zoos till they realised that the gorillas themselves needed a high-fibre diet and the, the gorillas eat a lot of, of fibre, they eat a lot of plant um, uh, material. They're essentially vegetarians, uh, although occasionally they eat some ants and termites, but other than that, yes, they're essentially uh, vegetarians. So they're mainly ferocious to protect their family. They have very strong families, um, generally a male with uh, several females, and the baby uh, gorillas are, are very heavily protected. As a matter of fact, um, there's been many instances of where poachers have tried to take baby gorillas away, and the adult gorillas will fight to the death, to, and the whole family members will to try and save the uh, the little baby. And one of the things that fascinated me as I read the, the, this book um, on, uh, on true animal stories was that the relationships that, you know, people can have with animals that reminded me back in the Garden of Eden um, that many of the, um, you know, that relationship that people could have with animals and that uh, in many ways, we get a lot of um, friendship uh, from um, from animals. Uh, gorillas, in in particular, are quite um, interesting um, animals. And of course, there's uh, I think a, a film was made and some documentaries made about a, a lady that went and lived with some of the uh, mountain gorillas, um, which are a slightly different uh, species of gorilla. Um, Live with them for for some for some times, from some time. And so, gorillas, of course, were actually first reported. The first scientific description of uh, gorillas was back in 1847, and it um, was a uh, a missionary by the name of uh, Thomas Savage, and he uh, published an article. Um, it was called Communication Describing the External Characteristics and Habitats of a New Species, um, T. Gorilla, which was Proceedings of the Boston Society of Natural History, uh, Volume 2, in 1847. And he wrote, This animal is known to the natives under the name of Angina and is much larger and more ferocious than the chimpanzee. Its height is above five feet, but it is remarkable for disproportionate breadth of its shoulders, which is double that of a chimpanzee. The hair is coarse and black, except in old individuals when it becomes grey. They live in herds, the females exceeding the males in number. They are exceedingly ferocious and objects of terror to the natives who seldom encounter them except on the defensive. The killing of an engineer is considered an act of great skill and courage and brings to the victor significant honour. So that was uh, again written. Now, it's very interesting, of course, that this discovery of the, the gorillas and so forth when, uh, in 1847 was just before the time of Darwin published in 1859, his Origin of the Species. And the, uh, the fascination with this newly discovered... Um, Animal and of course earlier on, some of the very old um, uh, descriptors um, 
such as um, a, a, the first European zoo, zoologist to see a living gorilla was Paul um, Du Chialu, a um, zoologist who travelled through West Africa about 10 years later. And so, and he was the first person to see actually a gorilla and give a, an actual description of him. And so, again, that was just before Darwin's um, uh, published his theory, theory of evolution in 1859. And the, uh, but there was a very much earlier sighting reported by um, a Carthaginian, uh, Hanno the Navigator who lived in around the 500 AD time. And um, he explored the West African coast uh, as far down as uh, Sierra Leone. And he, he wrote that it's in the um, innermost recess was an island similar to that formerly described, which contained in like manner a lake with another island inhabited by a rude description of people. Um, and that was um, our interpreters called them gorillae. And so uh, that's in actual fact where the, the term came from. So the, um, this, the fact that these uh, were earlier on thought of being sort of like a race of people helped, uh, I think, uh, form in the mind this, this whole concept later on that humans evolved from apes. Uh, from these um, ape, ape-like creatures. But, of course, gorillas are, are very different to us. They have quite different um, uh, DNA. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of DNA that is common. Uh, we have, you know, um, because, you know, they have a, a similar digestive system. They have a similar hormones and, um, uh, you know, the, these sort of things, although they have a much larger digestive system, much longer digestive system, so that enables them to eat much coarser, um, you know, plant uh, fibre foods. But these um, animals, of course, have a different brain. While that uh, gorilla that that had been raised by that African man could do a number of um, different chores and could be communicated with, and indeed they've done experiments with uh, gorillas and and certain gorillas in... um, There was a famous gorilla, Coco, um, who was taught American Sign Language. And so she could, she could sign that she was hungry, but she couldn't uh, construct a sentence, I would like to have some food. So there's a very difference in the, in the brain in this um, capacity. So the, the brains of these animals um, can't sort of comprehend tense and, and language as, as we... Um, see it in our language and, and can, can construct um, more complex um, understanding of things. So that's one of the big differences between um, these sort of animals. But we know many animals, of course, um, you know, can uh, develop relationships with humans, if most famous and perhaps by the most popular ones are with horses and dogs and, of course, another, you know, common pets like like cats. And we often hear stories about animals rescuing um, people. Matter of fact, my mother used to tell a story about how um, her youngest brother, Jimmy, 
was rescued by their collie dog from drowning in a in a dam. It got into trouble uh, swimming, and um, the collie dog was there and saw him in trouble, and uh, raced out and pulled him in by his shirt, sort of thing. So these are amazing things, and they uh, to me they remind me of um, Eden and. The fact that the God made animals, I believe, in many ways to, you know, have a big relationship uh, with us. We have a problem with rabbits eating food in our garden at the moment. I think these lovely little animals, really, uh, in many ways, they mow the lawn for us, you know, and we have these mechanical lawn mowers and this sort of thing. Well, just imagine in Eden when you could talk to the animals, you can say, well, look, you know, don't please don't eat. Uh, the tops out of the radishes, can you just, you know, eat the grass over there and trim it up to the edge there? That would be, you know, so cool. But one of the other things that comes out with um, is with the uh, gorillas in particular as being vegetarian, of course, they're a very big, strong animal. And this, again, you know, quite clearly shows that, uh, you know, vegetarians you don't have to eat a lot of meat to be strong. But the present time, too, we're... Um, it's making this particular talk where Australia is dealing with the coronavirus and it's interesting the source of the virus in humans seems to have been uh, traced back to humans um, eating uh, particular meat foods particularly foods that the Bible would call unclean foods in other words they were foods that humans were not to eat um, when we look um, in Leviticus chapter 11 of the Bible, it, it lists um, the foods that God saw um, after the flood, the non-plant-based foods that man could eat. So we think of the original diet in Eden was a plant-based diet. Um, and, and initially it was fruits and, and uh, seeds and then after the uh, fall, vegetables were included as well. And then it was only after the flood that man was permitted to eat meat, but not meat with the blood in it. That was, he was not to eat the, uh, the bloody meat. And then uh, later on, of course, man was advised to cut the, the fat off as well. But, uh, and of the meat or animals that uh, humans could eat, there were only certain animals and fish and so forth and birds that um, man could uh, eat. So the animals were, had to have a cloven hoof and chew the cud, so definitely plant-based animals. Uh, the fish had to have fins and scales and, and so forth. And so if, uh, fish that don't have fins and scales, uh, they were not to be eaten. And we find there's a whole lot of uh, science behind that. I uh, saw a lecture once by um, um, a doctor that uh, pointed out that uh, humans don't seem to get the virus diseases from the animals that the bar, that the the God saw clean, whereas we the, and well the viruses that the humans can get from them are not easily transmitted from human to human. But the viruses that are picked up from the uh, unclean animals are more readily transferred from humans to humans. And, um, you know, I actually haven't tracked down the, the scientific studies on that, but that was a, a medical doctor that was um, 
making that claim. But I think there's powerful evidence as we can see if people actually in the world had been following the dietary guidelines of the Bible, it's highly unlikely that we would have the coronavirus epidemic. And the other fascinating thing, of course, is the, the hygiene rules in the, in the Bible, with, for example, with regard to mould. If a house had mould um, in it, it was uh, to be clean, went through a clean thing, and if that didn't stop the mould, then the house was to be burned, destroyed, pulled down. And it's inter- interesting, of course, in certain countries, and, and particularly in New Zealand, they can have quite serious mould problems and people die from these, these mould problems. Um, of course, also there's the, the famous story of, um, you know, up until the, the late 1800s, you know, many sur- surgeons, doctors didn't wash their hands in between patients and there was tremendous transmission of disease and death in hospitals. And after, you know, one uh, quite famous doctor, I've just forgotten his name off the, the top of my head now, began to insist on washing hands and he was he was laughed at to the point that, you know, it, it just about, uh, well, it may have even driven him to depression. So I recall the story because he knew it made a difference when he washed his hands in his ward, it cut down the number of deaths. And when I think these things are based on these laws that God gave people, a lot of people you know, I know today many people don't know much about the Bible. I think the Bible is just some you know ordinary book that's been put together with old myths and religious myths. But the Bible is God's word to man, that God has revealed to man through the minds of man. God has communicated the, and it has these laws that God gave to give humans health and to protect us. And I think we have so much evidence now, both from the dietary guidelines, the health, just the overall health benefits of vegetarian plant-based diets now are being widely recognised now, hugely widely recognised, and also how they can provide us with better health, with a better immune system. We have so much evidence now on the benefits of the, the plant-based diets that God intended for us to have originally. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and remember these uh, programs are available on the internet if you Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and then click on the Listen buttons. And remember to, if you listen to a program that you found particularly interesting or compelling, remember to share the link with your friends on social media so that they can learn about uh, the evidence for our wonderful, loving Creator God. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 